Hey folks, today we are talking to Alvin Garcia about uh, what I thought was going to be adventure sports. And by the way, my name is Mason. I'm the host of the show. Uh, today, like I said, we're going to be talking to Alvin. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about the sports he's in, you know, uh, adventure cycling as well as climbing. But what we started getting into was his story, his story of getting to the U.S. from Guatemala. And, and, and what we're going to hear is, you know, he was a little boy at this time. And just his mother's leadership, his mother's strength of getting them, by them I mean uh, him and his family, out of a terrible situation back home, an abusive system, an abusive place, and it was getting worse and worse. So Alvin was really open with us about how they got here, what it was like, and why he doesn't take a single day especially a single day outdoors for granted. Um, we got to realize, and I'm sure you do, and this is just a great reminder that adventure sports is an absolute privilege. It is not a guarantee to, to be able to go out and voluntarily suffer to, to achieve something is, um, is not a very old concept. Let's put it that way with, with the way history has gone. Uh, you know, pe people weren't, out there exploring necessarily because they uh, they really loved travel and adventure even a few hundred years ago or a hundred years ago, 50 years ago in a lot of places. So being able to do these things that we do is a privilege. And Alvin understands that having gone through what he's gone through. And I think it's important for all of us to just be reminded at times that, hey, maybe you feel like you can't get out there as much as you want to or you feel like life isn't where you want it to be. It's all relative because I guarantee... Most everyone listening to this show has, historically speaking, an incredibly luxurious lifestyle. And not just historically speaking, but speaking for a lot of places that exist right now. And Alvin, Alvin's going to remind you of that. So it was an awesome story and an amazing adventure that his mother went through to get them here. It's just, I, I, I can't even, I don't have words to describe how insane a lot of this is. So I hope you, you know, I say enjoy the conversation, but really I hope you learn from it. I hope you gain some insight and uh, gain some respect for the folks that put their lives uh, at risk to, to help their families. But before we jump in, uh, Alvin is a gnarly nutrition athlete. And, you know, gnarly nutrition has been a supporter of the show for a while. Well, we're doing a big giveaway with them. Uh, link is in the show notes, by the way. But what they're doing they're going to choose two winners from a giveaway that we're doing uh, to receive a full gnarly, a bag of gnarly protein, a full bag of gnarly hydrate, and an entire bag of gnarly greens. All of that is valued well over $100 together. And so they're going to be doing two packages of that. So two winners are going to be getting that well over $100 package. Um, to enter, go to the show notes, go to the link uh, at gonarly.com, and you'll be able to enter your email uh, and that's all you got to do. Put your email in, share it with people, spread the word, and we're going to try to get as many people on this as possible to get some winners. Gnarly is an amazing company, amazing brand, great people. That's what it's about. You know, it's not just a great product, great people behind it. So let's support them as they've supported the show for, for a while now. Uh, and yeah, get your name out there, see if you can win some. But all right, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Hey folks, welcome to the show. You heard a little bit about Alvin's story in the intro, but now we're going to talk to Alvin 
to, to get a little more detail of what's going on in, in his story. So Alvin Garcia, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. <laughs> where? So I wanted to ask this before we started recording, but I want to know where are you coming from today? Because I want to know how early it might be because I'm on the East Coast of the U.S. So probably a little later than you. Oh, you're just a couple uh, hours ahead of me. I am in Salt Lake City, Utah at the moment. That's awesome. It, it, now, is that home for you? It is. Oh, very cool. So, so yeah, I want to just get into your story. Um, I know you're not from Salt Lake. Tell, tell us about getting to Salt Lake. What 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 is it about Salt Lake that, that draws you? I know you're a cyclist, a climber, uh, adventure sports all around, and that's you know, clearly an incredible place to be for that stuff. Well, to be quite honest, um, Salt Lake was never a destination that, you know, in my story, my family ever thought about coming to. As I grew up, I was actually not into adventures or didn't know much about them either. So Salt Lake kind of has unfolded its beauties and its like capacities as I've gotten older. But originally, I was born in Guatemala, uh, Guatemala City, to be exact. And we migrated, two siblings and my mother, uh, north at the end of the 90s. You know, just just like all immigrants um, chasing dreams and, and seeking opportunity. So that's what pretty much brought us north, you know. And, and like I said... Salt Lake was never the destination. And in fact, the first first location that we lived in was in Tucson, Arizona. And it just so happened that we had a grandmother living there who, who received us. Years later, uh, as work was kind of scarce, I do have, you know, uh, an illegal immigrant background. So my, my mother had to get pretty clever with finding work and she got into the housekeeping industry or, you know, and just started working that way. And a family member and uncle was living in Park City, Utah. And as she was struggling with three kids, um, she heard about opportunity to work and she didn't think about it twice. So she moved us north and we landed in Park City. It was quite a cultural clash, as you can imagine, as is, uh, it's known that Park City, you know, it's a pretty, pretty wealthy area. And we come from, you know, a country that's struggling or, you know, doesn't offer much as far as adventuring or you know, accessibility in that way. So yeah, as a kid, like I tell you, we grew up kind of uh, in the backseat or, hiding away from adventure just because we didn't know about it. And, and then slowly as I grew older, I started to get to know people, you know, as a, as a member of the LDS church, I was actually introduced into camping and that type of thing. And I've kind of started falling in love with it, just like everybody else recognized how beautiful it was outside and how amazing it was just to get out into, um, the wild or into the mountains and and then that's how it starts that is exactly how it starts getting <laughs> introduced i've never been to guatemala but I, I have some family that has and they, they say how beautiful it is there but as you know there's 
there was a reason y'all left. Things were getting violent. What do you, how young were you and what do you remember about that? Yeah, definitely. Guatemala if you, if you is, don't mind, I, I mean, I don't no, mean to. No, no, I think it's, it's actually, it's, for me, it's a beautiful thing to talk about. Um, I get to, you know, face my, my past and, and learn from it every time I have a, a conversation with somebody about it. But I remember quite a bit. I was fairly young to be exact. I think it was seven, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And most people that get to travel to Guatemala, yeah, definitely agree and and have always described it as as a beautiful place unfortunately for us you know uh we do or we did uh live in quite a poor state and and it was it was difficult like i said it was it was it's three siblings one mother and then during that time uh we did or our father was going through pretty hard things those are things that I still yet to understand, you know, as, um, but there was a lot of violence in our house. Uh, my father, unfortunately, wasn't able to control uh, addictions and his past or, you know, his, his, his state at the moment. And uh, slowly, uh, it, it just got worse. I think it started mostly from or from when I remember when I was about five. It started with yeah, just the domestic abuse and and lots of screaming, lots of lots of hitting, and mm. uh, unfortunately, our culture you know kind of is the type to look away rather than than support. So even though we lived in a neighborhood full of people, you know, we live in pretty tight little community, but. There really isn't any support in that sense. Uh, so my mother, uh, being the the hero that she is, literally, you know, uh, got fed up. And from stories that she's told us, you know, the violence got so strong uh, to the point where my father uh, threatened to kill us all. Um, and she knew it was serious because it was it was one of those threats where he wasn't intoxicated and he didn't seem delusional. So uh, that instability then just pushed her to start looking for ways. You know, um, she tells us that at first it was literally just trying to run to the coast uh, where we had family members. And then that then later, you know, led to finding a visa to Mexico. And so one night, I remember, uh, it was very, very early, actually, in the morning. Uh, my mom just woke us up, and she said, hey, we're going on vacation. And strange, because we don't go on vacation, right? Like, uh, we're like, okay, so... Where are you going? <laughs> like, what is vacation? <laughs> yeah, like, what is vacation? Like, like okay. And, and so to us, it's like, okay, cool. Like, what is, or where are we going? And she just told us, we're going to the, to the coast. We're going we're gonna to go to the, the ocean. So siblings and I, you know, super psyched. And I can remember my mom being pretty, pretty shaky. It seemed fairly odd. But one thing, you know, that I can think of is that, like, when you grow under those circumstances uh, and you see violence on a day, day-to-day basis and, and you see people struggling uh, like we do in our, in our country, it, as a kid, it forces you to grow up really quickly. So... Um, at a very young age, I was able to catch gestures or ways in people acting. At those moments, you know, 
it like kind of hyper focused me. And I was able to see that my mom was struggling. And so my older brother was the same way. Our younger sister was too young to kind of to gasp what was going on. But I remember having, uh, you know, those eye to eye connections with my older brother and my mother being like, okay, we understand, you know, things are happening. Somehow throughout the, the abuse and, you know, the violence, my mom was able to get enough connections to, to put together some, some visas for us uh, to travel into Mexico. And the visa, I remember, well, now I know that it was only permitted to uh, the capital. Little did we know, we, had, we were getting on a bus early in the morning and, and we're heading towards Mexico. And I remember the bus just getting longer and longer. And, you know, as kids, we grew, you know, kind of uh, unease or be like, oh, we're going to be off of this. Or like, when are, when are we going to get to the ocean at the same time, right? And so then she's like, oh, she was just playing it cool. And she's like, oh, just, just, well, we're almost there. So, and then somehow, you know, we get into to Mexico and then I do remember having, you know, or we were having lunch and then my mom sat uh, us three and, and she tried to be as, as clear as possible. And she said, we are, we're traveling away from home, you know, and I, it's hard to explain just because like, I, I try to put my, myself in, in my mom's situation, trying to talk to a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old and a, and a five-year-old about how we're leaving home. Um, we're leaving everything we had and, and we we weren't coming back. And one of the hardest things I remember in, in that conversation was realizing that I was never going to see my great grandma again, or there was a very high chance. Uh, cause our great grandma used to live at the same house with us and she was our, our caretaker as my mom was, uh, away working. And, and so that was, that was very, very hard. Um, but we had no option. Uh, we also understood, you know, that if we went back, uh, we would probably end up dead. Um, just cause my father was so unstable and, and so we went forth and I remember also my mom asking us, you know, to, to be quiet and, uh, not to speak, not to, not to even look at people, um, uh, just because although you are, you know, Latino, there is conflict between, uh, countries and, and more so immigrants. So as we traveled into Mexico, we knew that it, it was going to be unstable and not the easiest path just because people do for whatever reason, you know, uh, rather than support you, they, 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 they focus and, and try to stop you. And so by bus, we, we traveled through Mexico and we, it's, it's kind of weird and it's funny at the same time, but we didn't eat. Uh, we didn't talk to anybody. Um, the food was too spicy. We, my mom, every time she tried to, to stop or buy food for us, we were like, we can't eat this. This is, this is spicy. I feel you we're there. From Guatemala. Yeah. We're from Guatemala. We, we don't eat spicy. And so <laughs> it was, it was, it was crazy. And thankfully we were kids, you know, as a kid, yeah, you can easily distract and 
get away from that. I can only be, I can only imagine being an adult and, and, and going a week without being able to eat. And I'd be crying. But anyhow, we somehow uh, get into Mexico and, and things are kind of, you know, a couple of days in, by bus. And we get to Mexico City and everything's cool. Like I said, our visa was protecting us at that point. And so as we were going, honestly, my mom says she never had a plan. Her plan was just to find somewhere where she felt comfortable and safe. And when, once we reached Mexico, she says she didn't feel safe. And so, so she may have stayed in Mexico if it had felt right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor, Gnarly Nutrition. I know you've heard about them recently because we've had some guests on recently that credits Gnarly for helping them do the the adventures that we talk about on this show. So uh, Chris Fisher was one who did the Vert Max. He did 400,000 feet of elevation gain in a month. Check out that episode. Uh, That was not too far back. And he credits Gnarly Nutrition for keeping him, his body literally sustained during that time, just packing in the calories. It's amazing nutrition for anyone doing anything adventure, uh, endurance-based, whether that's in the mountains or bikepacking or whatever. It's a great thing to have with you prior to an, uh, an adventure training and also during an adventure. And also Jason Hardrath, who recently did um, the 100 fastest known times. He did 100 mountains in 50 days and just was slamming gnarly nutrition. He also credits gnarly for essentially keeping his body sustained. And so um, gnarly nutrition has been around since 2008. They were born in Utah's Wasatch Mountains, uh, and they are committed to educating and inspiring athletes of all levels to be as nutritionally sound as possible. Their nutrition supplements are certified by NSF and have science-backed products free of hormones, free of GMOs, proprietary blends, uh, and nothing artificial. So Gnarly is going to help you get ready and help you sustain during uh, those huge adventure efforts. So if you're looking for the best tasting and the most trusted sports nutrition brand for any endurance athletes, Go to go gnarly, and that is G N A R L Y dot com, and use the code gnarlyadventure15 for 15% off. And just, you know, a personal plug here I love gnarly. I love the folks there. They're doing such a fantastic job. They have been so great to work with. Uh, they helped provide some products for um, our Journey to 100 film series uh, that we were doing giveaways with at the end of every film screening. So it's been a pleasure to work with them so far. So if you'd like to support the folks that are supporting this show, definitely go visit gonarly.com. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So, yeah, that was literally, she, she, she had no target and, and she was just seeking somewhere where she can make a connection and, and find something that felt right. But it's amazing though, because like every time I tell the story, I can't even believe it because it's, it's within hours she makes decisions of, okay, we're going or we're staying or we're moving or like, like potential life-changing decisions. Yeah, exactly. At one and, after another, after another. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a rapid fire. Like we, like I said, it took us a week to get to, to us borders and she knew limitations. She knew, uh, you know, that we were running out of money. She knew everything, but like I said already, we had some family in the U S and, 
my grandmother was in Tucson, and so were a a couple of uncles or an uncle and an, an aunt. And thankfully, one of my uncles had some friends, you know, and he quickly as well connected us with his friends who lived in in the northern part of Mexico within hours. Like I said, calls were made. And this is t- these are times where like you don't have a cell phone. There's a payphone, you know. Uh, and I remember we stopped at a payphone, my mom making calls and being like, "Hey, like we're gonna try to be there in hours or you know in certain little towns throughout Mexico." Uh, slowly but surely, we started creeping up north, and you could tell that like things were way more uh, unstable and uneasy because my mom knew that we were going beyond our visa. And at this point, now you're breaking the law with Mexico. And so if you get caught, you get deported. And and so my mom, I remember she, we didn't have any, we didn't have much, but she managed to buy these towels. And for every bus we got into, she would just cover us in the towels and say, go to sleep. And so by bus, we'd cover, we'd just cover ourselves up with towels, pretend like we're sleeping, try to be quiet. And you can only imagine how hard that that is to to manage with three kids. But I got to tell you, luckily, our experiences kind of prepared us to grow up a little quicker and, and kind of be able to 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 respond and and be helpful towards my mom. And there is one moment, very, very key moment in between the travel from Mexico City to the border uh, town of Nogales and uh, there is this one infamous or famous place where most immigrants talk about and it's called uh, Benjamin Hill and everybody who travels knows of this place uh, that it's you know it's a, it's a big immigration stop or check and I remember we got we got there and it was late and sure enough routine immigration officers get on the on the bus and start asking questions or like hey where are you from or whatever and like i said my mom's my mom's best thing was not to talk because as soon as you you talk you can recognize accents uh unfortunately the the officer did ask my mom how how she was doing and she responded obviously she's not gonna ignore it but as soon as he noticed that we weren't from the area or that we weren't even Mexican, he could tell he he asked my mom to step out of the bus. And I remember we were we my brother and I were sitting by the by the the window on the bus and we were looking out and trying to see what's going on and 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 things just didn't you know didn't seem right. I didn't know what was going on at the moment. And, but later as my mom tells us the story or has told people the story, it it turns out that the the officer does pull her off, realizes, you know, you're not from Mexico. Uh, And so he starts asking questions about where, where we're from, where we're heading, why, you know, all those things. Yeah. What, what did she tell him? Uh, Well, she, she tells us that, um, it started with, yeah, like, hey, like, I know, like, you're, I'm, I'm going to have to detain you. And he started asking, like, who, who she was with. And the, the, the bus driver assistant was, was there. 
and he knew that we were we were migrating north because people you know recognize things like that. So he kind of aided us in in the sense he is just like she's been riding with us this entire you know few days and she's very calm. She's got three kids and he was advocating for us and he was being like you know it seemed like a good family and they're trying to get out of out of a situation. And the officer was saying no no like. A visa, you know, legally, I can't let you go. And so then my mom got to the point where she was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to risk it all. And she was carrying a fanny pack. I remember this stupid fanny pack. I used to look at it and be like, man, that thing is ugly. But <laughs> <laughs> she had a little bit of money in there and she had contact lists or things like that. You know, it's important information. And she she says that she she got to the point where she opened it and she said, "Look, like, what do you want? Like, I, it's me, my three kids. Uh, I've told you where I'm, where I come from. I, I've told you what I can. I don't have any connections. I don't have any plans. I am not going to see anybody. Uh, you know, like, I don't have a plan except to get me and my kids out of out of where I come from or what's happening back home." And they argued back and forth and the officer was like, no, like, I'm going to have to deport you. And she, she said she, she got frustrated and was like, okay, well, like, if you're going to deport me, you're going to send me back on a first class bus because I am paying for a, you know, a first class bus. And, and if you're going to send me back home, you better send me back the way I came up, you know? Thankfully, the the line the, the stars aligned themselves and and the officer gave in. He couldn't take the pressure and because or the pressure of having a fanny pack, you know, with a maybe twenty dollars worth of pesos mm-hmm. in his face and being like, I can't, I can't do this. And so he let us through. My mom said that her legs shook. She couldn't believe it. And from then on, uh, she got back on the bus. And the assistant of the bus driver, uh, she says that he sat down next to her and he was like, hey, look, obviously I heard everything was happening and things like that. And I'm willing to I'm willing to pretend like I am your your husband or partner or or help you guys. Uh, and, and when officers come in, you let me talk and and uh, and things will be OK. And so. That was one of the big, big steps in Mexico, just getting here. Uh, and so we continue to drive, for, uh, you know, on. And a couple of days later, we're we're almost to Nogales. And the bu- the bus that that we were on with the with this guy that was helping us at this point now, it was going to go straight to Nogales. But he received word, or he was told that there was going to be another immigration stop ahead. And so he's like, hey, look, like I've arranged for this other bus is going to pass behind us, but you're just going to sit here and and we're going to transfer everything onto there. And then once uh, we transfer you, this bus is a local bus, so it's less likely to to get stopped by immigration and and it should help you guys out. And so sure enough, we pull over at the uh, interstate highway. And then they transfer us onto this to this other station. We get on this other like, you know, not crappy, but like lower tier bus or in, in a sense. But 
we get in there and sure enough, we start, we, we drive and within hours, the bus that we were on is pulled over on the side and sure enough, the immigration's going through them and the bus that we had hopped in just continues. It just got waved through. And so little things like that have, you know, uh, or were kind of key moments when, when we were traveling to Mexico. Uh, fortunately, we get to Nogales uh, and just borderline with, with uh, Tucson or oh, Arizona. And once again, you know, my mom's sitting there and we don't have, we don't have plans for a hotel or a motel or a place to crash or be or anything like that. And so we get out of this Greyhound station and we're just sitting there and we're like, okay, so like, what are we, what are we doing? And my mom's on the payphone, you know, calling people and trying to arrange things and figure things out. And, you know, and, uh, it's getting kind of late. We're spent some time at the station and all of a sudden she's like, okay, grab, grab your bag. We're going. And we ended up at some motel, some random motel. I don't even remember where it was. Only thing I can remember is that there was a, uh, I believe it was a, a Burger King right next to it. And so we ate Burger King there. The, when I looked at the map of Nogales, the first thing I, that kind of showed on my Google Maps was a Burger King right across the border. And I don't know if it was that one, but the fact that you stopped that, was that your first time having Burger King? Yeah. What were yeah. you thinking? I mean, it wasn't spicy. That's a, that's one plus. Uh, no, it was not. It was, uh, it was amazing. It was actually amazing. Uh, and, <laughs> welcome to and America. Yeah, it, yeah. And like, literally, it's like, welcome, you know, welcome towards Northern culture and, you know, fast food things and accessibility. And that is, it's a big, changed as well especially in guatemala where we're used to eating you know rice beans and an egg for two meals of the day and and that's what it is right but yeah we get to nogales and in that burger king i remember that burger king uh and we're sitting there and like out of nowhere somebody's knocking at the door and my mom's like oh my god like like grab your things like uh, we're scared you know, and she answers the door and it turns out to be my grandma, uh, no way. who lives in Tucson. Yeah. And she lived in Tucson and to us as kids, it was like, wait, what, what is happening? You know, like we only get to see you every, you know, few years when you fly from the U S and come visit us in Guatemala. So it was, you know, it was, it, it, it was shocking. And I was just like, okay, like, that's pretty cool. My grandma's here and I was super happy. And she unfortunately was with her two friends and, and their daughter. I, w- I won't say names just because legally, if somebody were to ever hear their names, they could potentially get, you know, in trouble. But my grandma's there with her friends and we're just so like, oh man, it's cool. And, and but immediately, you know, conversation and we're not dumb. Like I said, we're, we're pretty sharp kids at this point. And conversation turns into, okay, like, what are we doing? Or like, what are you going to do? And it so happened to be that we landed in Nogales uh, on the 5th of May. And so it's, you know, it's, it's a party around the area and things like that. Uh, and my grandmother's uh, friends were quick to be like, hey, look, like, 
the Guatemalan passports look like the U.S. passports. And they're the same color. Maybe we can try to stack ours on top of yours and and then pretend like you guys are U.S. citizens. <laughs> to, to get to go where? To get where? To go north into the U.S. So you still weren't in the U.S.? No, we were in Nogales, Mexico. And, oh, because it's a border town. It's on mm-hmm. either end. And there is a yeah. there is a Burger King right there in Nogales. So uh-huh. I get it. Now. Okay, you're still in Mexico. You're trying to get across we're the We're still on the border. Mexico side. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, there's Burger King uh, on both sides, I guess. But we're on the Mexico side. And so then, yeah, my grandmother's friends, crazy enough, they're like, they come up with this plan. And they're like, you know what? We're going to wait. We know... When we know that the guard is going to be tired because there's a lot of people coming in and out of the country because Cinco de Mayo, such a, you know, such a party. Oh yeah. Big time. And we're going to, yeah. And so they're like, we're going to wait till, till maybe 2 a.m. around, you know, when they, they change the guard or something and, or, or when guards are, are tired and we get in this minivan and it's, I remember this, it's like this blue, bluish uh minivan it's pretty ugly and hey, hey, now, hey now. i love minivans <laughs> uh, i yeah i love them now but i just remember it was it wasn't the best looking minivan but we get in there and sure enough my mom tells us to go in back seat gives us the towels and says okay pretend like you're asleep you know uh, she was sitting in the in in the middle passenger on the left side. Uh, grandma was sitting on right next to her, and and then her two friends were up to, up front. It's crazy. It's just I remember just closing my eyes, and and we were going, and sure enough, car comes to a stop. There's lots of lights, uh, no flashlight coming through the window, and and door opens. At the moment, obviously, we didn't know English, so we didn't know what the guard was saying or anything like that. But, but I can only assume it went some like, you know, opens the door. How are you guys? Where are you guys coming from? Where are you going? And uh, my mom does remember just the door opens on her side and the officer says hello. And then he asks, uh, American citizen. And my mom, she is fairly light skinned. And at the time she had, she had bleached her hair. So it was lighter. And she just responded. Yes. Literally is all she said. Yes. And, and then my grandma's friends spoke English. So they kind of kicked in and they're like, yeah, we're just coming from a party, you know, 5th of May. We're tired. The kids are tired. They're sleeping. We're just trying to get home. We're from Tucson or whatever. And so then he asked for passports. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, identification. And they hand them the, you know, the whole stack. And it's a big old stack of blue passports. And they say that he only opened the front, the top one. He looked, he's like, oh, okay, Americans. Gives them back. And he's like, oh, okay, welcome. You go on. And that's how somehow, you know, stars once again just align and and we we enter the country and this to me is just such a crazy story because 
I hear of so many other stories of, uh, you know, friends, family, or other immigrants that go through hell and experiences, you know, uh, uh, horrific experiences to say the least uh, in crossing the border and, and getting into, into America. Uh, especially touchy situation with, you know, the, the news of two days ago in San Antonio. And, and so every time I, I think about my story and, and my experience on, on crossing and entering U.S. soil, is, it's so minute and so, so privileged and blessed uh, when compared to others. So, yeah, that's how we get into U.S. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, to me, it's, a, you know, it, like I said, it's a humbling experience to to think about and and to share with people um and yeah now we're we're in tucson arizona and yeah and and you know a whole new world just opens up and it's day by day how, how long was the process total when you left guatemala like the day you left to the day you arrived in the u.s what was that entire span it was a week's worth of travel. Okay. We wish it was longer, but then also we're, we're, we're so thankful it was so short, you know? Why do you wish it was longer? Oh, uh, because we think about it, uh, like we on a rest, experience Mexico or anything like, <laughs> you know, in that selfish manner. But obviously, considering all the situations, now I'm extremely thankful that, that it was as short as it was. Wow. Unreal. It's, oh my gosh. Um, how was your mom once you got into the U S was there a sign of relief or was it, okay, now it's go time again to figure something out. Cause obviously you have your, your grandmother there, but what was, what was going through her mind that you know of? To be honest, my mom's always go time. Um, okay. So the story that I know of hers, you know, since she was a very young teen, uh, she had to take on responsibility of taking care of the uncles that now were living in the in the U.S., uh, you know, that had to stay back when my grandmother migrated uh, to the U.S. early in, in the earlier days. And and she had to take care of uh, her kids a great grandmother, uh, our great grandmother, and and uh, a, a you know a partner, an abusive partner. So my mom has. Uh, I feel I feel very sad for her at times, and but I am thankful, you know, for who she is. But and my mother lost her 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 childhood very very young age, and. To this day, she's very, very go. Uh, things get tough, or you know, things get uneven or uneasy a little in, in any way. And she's a person that I can go to and 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 very easily, you know, get focused or grounded in a sense of like determination. And so when we get to the states, it was immediate. Uh, my mom knew that. First things first came finding work and 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 finding a way to to get some food to us 
Uh, and at the same time, then, you know, finding, finding solutions for our status. Obviously, once you get to the U.S., things are not necessarily over. They're actually just starting uh, because you're learning a new culture. Uh, you're learning a new language. Uh, you cannot, you know, you can't communicate as easily as back home. And, and, and my mom's drive, you know, it just got faster and stronger. And I remember she, I, it was, or I mean, to say the least, like all immigrants, you know, you get to the States and, and you don't get a rest. Yeah. Next day you're contacting friends of friends families or whatever of being like, where can I go work or how can I make some money? Because things are expensive as well. And so my mom started immediately going to clean houses. Uh, she worked at a Denny's. She worked at an IHOP. And, and I think she worked at like a, as a, what is Jack in the box. That's what it was. Then, then, then what, how did, how did you get to Salt Lake city of all places? So, yeah, she, like I said, she's had to find a way, um, find a way to, to get money and, and to try to, to get us started. And I, I mean, she, she did everything she could. I remember she did the whole, I don't know if you're familiar with like Avon and Mary Kay makeup products and. Oh yeah. I use of, them daily, <laughs> you know, those type of things. And like she, she had hands. She, she put hands wherever she could uh, to try to make life easier for us. Uh, but money wasn't coming in quickly. And uh, she had to start looking elsewhere. And like I said, uh, the uncle that had been connecting us with people and friends in, in Mexico and things like that turned out to be living in, in Salt Lake City. Uh, or, or sorry, correction, not in Salt Lake City, but in Park City. And, and he was working, he was working up here as well, you know, living the immigrant life and working in a kitchen uh, and, and trying to get, you know, his opportunity to, to, to be something or, or have something. And so my mom one day, uh, actually, I, well, we knew of well, she knew of this whole Park City thing, but she was afraid because she was like, "Well, what if what if I move and and you know things don't work out and like we're losing support here in Tucson?" And in the two years, two years and a half that we lived in Tucson, things were crazy. We uh, uh, as a kid, I remember we went to school, we were learning everything, and then one day we come home and my aunt and my grandma are sitting there and we know things weren't right and and so they 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 sat us down and they they literally just give it to us cold and we're like hey look your mom got pulled over and she is currently detained and is in you know immigration custody um, she was driving a coworker friend home and must, uh, missed a signal on a, on a stop sign. 
and an officer pulled her over, just like a police officer pulled her over. And obviously when he started asking the questions, she couldn't, she couldn't communicate. So he could tell that she wasn't from, and officers decided to call, uh, immigration or, or Homeland Security. And they came in and they, they picked her up and they booked her into, into jail. And for, I think it was almost a year, we didn't get to see my mom. Holy cow. Uh, and it was hard. It was very, very hard. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was the last year. The last year we spent in Tucson. It was very hard. We got to talk to her on the phone. Like I said, my brother and I, fortunately, were from our experiences as kids and, and having to grow up pretty pretty fast. We 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 knew of what jail was. We knew of what how things were happening. We knew what was at risk and 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 how things could turn out, you know, for the worse. And so we visited, we got to visit her one time only because my grandma was afraid that they would detain us as children as well. So my grandma was super scared of taking us to, to jail to see her. Um, There's just so much uncertainty, you know, there's no security as, as an illegal immigrant. And even as a kid, uh, you're constantly under this distress and, and, and fear of like, you know, uh, am I going to get picked out or like, or, you know, re- you understand your differences. And so a year ha- goes by and she's detained. We're trying to get, you know, we're trying to get by, but my older brother starts, you could tell it, with my older brother, he kind of started getting a little off track and, uh, as his younger sibling, I, I noticed he started hanging out with, you know, kids that weren't so good or and, and fights at school and, and things like that. And so I could tell that he was under a lot of a lot of stress and he had he had no way out or at least our mom to to try to, to correct them. So things were really, really weird. Somehow. um my mom was able to fight deportation inside uh, jail and through the help of some friends and an attorney outside, they got her this, not dismissed, but they got her out just in time to file an application for asylum. Uh, It was, she says that there was literally like 24 hours from the time she was released to the time, the dead, deadline of this this application, and so she gets out of jail, fills out these documents, you know, and then and starts what literally turns out her her whole process, the whole process to fight for citizenship or at least to not be deported. Um, and so she's released. Obviously, a year has gone, almost a year has gone by. Uh, there's no money at home. There's, you know, there's, there's no resources all that much because they're all stretched out. And, and so then she has a lot of pressure in the sense of like, okay, well, like, well, I got to figure out what to do. And I guess this is one of the lucky, lucky moments where, where being an immigrant and kind of hiding your identity played out for her because she did, she didn't have to report that she had been in jail or, you know, had been booked into jail. 
uh, any job because she was working under an alias or you know something like that but anyhow she starts talking to my uncle again about park city and he says you know what like, you have no options like the kids can stay with grandma or, or their mom at the and in tucson and while you start something here in park city you know i can help you out and then once you're all set up we can bring the kids up and and, and you know get going so that's the plan and for another year my mom travels north and she goes into park city and lives with my uncle and and all her friends and this little apartment in, in park city and she starts working for this polish lady this kind of cool story this polish lady older lady and uh takes her in gives her work as a as a housekeeper and my mom with the little english that she knew you know went in cleaned houses and things like that and, and we start hearing from her and and it's it's more so happy she's like yeah like things are going okay like soon enough i'll come back for you guys and and it turns out that way so then she comes back tucson grabs us and once again by bus we we head to salt lake and into park city and i'll never forget it because we get into into salt lake and snow and red rock are only things that we've seen in the movies and then in tv or cartoons right in Guatemala and I remember it was very early and we were traveling in and into Utah and they're like oh my god like the rock is really red and oh that's snow like wow. what is that right <laughs> like whoa like, to see them both like, together yeah it, it, it was amazing it was beautiful right even and people like, in the, here in the states don't realize it a lot of red rock gets a lot of snow yeah yeah I mean this yeah the, desert gets you know dumped with snow and but it was a it was uh one of those like magical moments for me i was like oh man this is very cool but soon enough we step off the bus in in park city and it's and it's 20 degrees you know 15 degrees outside and and we're like what the hell a lot why, different than why, Tucson. Why, <laughs> yeah why are we here you know like it's it's like this is this is miserable it's cold it's things like that and then we're tossed into we're tossed into that environment. Luckily, we are at this point. I was in second, going into third grade, and spoke a little bit of English by now. Uh, we had caught enough, and sure enough, my mom has a little apartment with some other immigrant roommates, and we're living in the. It's it's all four of us living in the in the master bedroom, and it's a very small apartment in in Park City, and. And we start going to school and getting to know the area and things like that. And but it was always like that that feeling of like, okay, this is cool, but we're not from here. Uh, we don't necessarily fit in. And slowly but surely, we got through elementary and then middle school. Once we hit into middle school, we started yeah getting more familiar with the area. And so for me activity broke out then and i've always been a, a huge fan of soccer right? everywhere in the world you know, soccer soccer is a thing you come to the u.s at the moment and it wasn't a thing so it kind of it kind of pushed it out and and we 
you know, we kind of forgot about soccer for a little bit and until we got into Park City. And sure enough, at school, started playing soccer and the PE teacher sees that we, we were very passionate. I'll never say that I, that I was ever good or anything like that, but we we're just passionate at playing soccer. And sure enough, due to the power of sport and the power of just moving, you start making connections. And this coach, our PE teacher, she, she was like, hey, like, you can kick a ball. Like, do you want to join a little team? And that turned into our little rec team. And from there, I got to meet other kids. And, like, within the community, you know, the, the soccer dad that wants to coach his kids and, and the team recognized that my brother and I could play. And, and then, sure enough, it's like, hey, do you want to come play for a little club? And, and, and that grew up, right? Like grew, it, it, it started snowballing up. And then I remember it, it started bringing a lot of joy because uh, it was one way to feel included. Uh, it, it was one way to feel part of and, and almost kind of welcoming. And so in Park City, we start playing soccer and we get to a point where we're playing for like, Park City Club and and coaches are noticing and 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 they're like oh well like these kids can can move and pass the ball and they have a lot of fun with it and so that turns into you know white people coming to our home and being like hey uh, will you allow Alvin and or my older brother ever to go to Jackson Hole or go to a tournament with with the club and you know, that, that, that was a very, very different thing, you know, going out of town or going anywhere to, to play a sport. And I remember at the first time that we did so, my mom was very nervous. It was like, like she said, or like we've always known, you know, it's easy to stand out. And, and when she's not around, then who, who can protect us, right? And she fought it for a while. I remember she was like, no, like, I know you love to play sports and you know you, you're with your friends and things like that, but what if, you know, what if the police notice you or what if immigration or, you know, that constant fear. And then it took a lot of convincing and uh, like from us, because we weren't going to go tell our coach, Hey, look, we're illegal or like we can't travel because we're afraid of this. You know, I was just, not in our mind capacity to do so. And, and that fear, it's a lot of pressure. But my brother and I were able to be, you know, persistent enough. And we're like, look, mom, like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be safe. And, and we'll be quiet, you know, like, we won't talk to anybody. And we'll play. And, and when when everybody's out eating, we'll stay in the hotel or we'll stay in the in wherever we're staying. And she gave in. And we started traveling and playing here, doing that, the sport thing. And it was a lot of joy. It was, it was very freedom, freeing. And that's when I, you know, I started losing all the baby fat. I used to be a really chubby kid. And <laughs> all the that time I, King. I, yeah, all the Burger King and all the onion rings, the onion ring diet that from Jack in the Box had caught up. And oh, I, remember, I remember I was in, I was in seventh grade and that was another thing, you know, like, you're like, oh man, like I'm a chubby kid. And it's such a, it's such a funny thing, but like 
you look at immigrant families and you you see you know obesity and health problems and it's because that's the lifestyle uh it's uh the change in culture you know it's so so intense and and hard to, you know to you, you tend to lean towards poor dieting and poor habits like that and so as a kid yeah. you know i was like i was like okay well if i want to be good i have to be fast if i want to be fast i feel i have to be light and i started training and running and and soon enough i with the the kids around in park city we started hiking into just the the neck or the entrance of the of the woods because we were always scared that there was a witch that was the thing we were always scared of the witch right in park city forest uh, but but it, it, it that's where like movement is introduced yeah, she, she's to my life as far as like athletics and then uh my mom and you know, she starts getting us a little more stable, recognizes that we're getting older and and we need a little more structure in our family. So she gets involved with the, or gets our family involved with the LDS church. And we get into the process and we're baptized and we go to church on Sundays and, you know, the whole thing. And luckily it was a Spanish-speaking ward or and service so we got to meet people that were just like us immigrants and you know they're seeking a little bit of help or things like that and the church in this point and in this aspect was great to us because they introduced us into the boys club or like the boy scouts and and camping and getting us out and those were my first experiences outdoors what what were your thoughts of of going out in the woods besides the witch, of course, um, which I've heard about? Now I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what was there any hesitation about going into the wilderness? Because there's there's a lot of it there in Utah. There's there was extremes amount of fear. Personally, for like you. Pers- personally and within the kids and and even the adults and this is why uh it took me a long time to kind of put this together but most of the immigrants that come into the states or illegal immigrants walk through the desert or they swim through a river and these are traumatic experiences uh and so the outdoors become a very scary place camping out in the middle of the desert or in the woods or you know it makes you it may sometimes as one of my friends used to say it reminds me of when we were crossing the border yeah and and so like i said to me now i can i can be i I am extremely grateful that my my crossing was so blessed and so easy versus some of the some of the stories that i know of you know, where they, they spent days, you know, in in the desert, hiding, you know, running and, and things like that. Like that introduction into nature, uh, to me, it's got to be extremely hard. And and so then to later, you know, as you're older, ask these kids to, to trust that you're just going to go camping you're just going to go sit by a fire and you're just going to go sit by a tent. You're going to go live that lifestyle place. for fun. Yeah, exactly. That it, it, Right. Like that is, it's, it, it's, it's a clash to say the least. And, 
And so a lot of my friends, my Hispanic friends, even now, you know, they're like, I'm not going camping. Like, dude, I, no, like, that's scary. The witch is out there. And then on top of that, immigration's out there, you know, like, and so it was hard. It was very hard. And it was also hard because most of the kids that did go camping were white. Uh, and so they were very comfortable and they were like all about it. And you go and there's this difference, right? Like you try to fit in because they're also your friends and you want to be there and experience that, but you don't connect immediately like it is or how they are, you know, at first. So it took, it took a, 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 a period of time to get used to a few trips and, and experiences. And like I said, I've been blessed to have friends and community around me who have been so in love and involved with the outdoors that every time they invited, I trusted and, and was able to comfortably start experiencing that and recognizing that it was a safe space. Was there a day or, or an experience or a, or a moment that you kind of made the switch or was it just gradual? And maybe what was the first time you realized this is wonderful and I, I, I enjoy this space? Actually, it took a very, very long time to feel comfortable. And even to this day, most of my anxiety and most of my fears come when I am away from home. So I get a little homesick when I, it, I don't get me wrong. I love the outdoors now but there's still a little bit of that, like, uneasy, like, uh, I want to be home and I want to be, you know, I want to be safe in my place. But, but it did take, it took a period and not until I was well in my twenties where I got to experience rock climbing for the first time. And, and then, and then now mountain biking that I, that I feel and be like, okay, like I know this area and, and I feel comfortable, but it also, this comfort doesn't evolve until I have had or have been able to literally walk or been on top of every peak that is here in the Wasatch. So that's kind of been my, in a sense, the drive to be outdoors and, and, and things like that. And to feel, to make things comfortable is to force myself to go on certain trails and certain areas. So I know that, you know, these whole mountains around me are safe. Um, but yeah, as a kid, it, it, it took a very long time to, to then sit at the fire and be like, okay, things are okay. Like things are going to be okay. When you, cause obviously in, in Utah and in those mountains, there's lots of adventure athletes. And we talked to a lot of people on this show who are doing really incredible things. What are your thoughts when people are like, oh, that was really a really challenging experience? Or even when you go through something challenging, is it just, no, this is a piece of cake compared to what life can be? Or do you think about that at all? Roll your eyes at all a little bit? Or is it, or is it two separate things in your mind? Not at all. I have 100% respect for any adventure athlete or not anybody who gets out there. Uh, and it's more so from, like I said, me recognizing that or recognizing my own fears from out there. Like to me, it's, it was so daunting to get outside and I can see how it's so daunting for a lot of Latinos to get out. And so to see these adventure athletes, you know, go doing these crazy 
adventures, runs, races, and things like that. Uh, uh, to me, I I cannot roll my eyes. Uh, that's that's amazing. I, I find it super cool. And now now that I I do have the experience of being in the outdoors, then I can use that you know to motivate me. But no, not at all. I cannot. I would never roll my eyes at anybody who's out there, you know, experiencing the that type of type of thing. That's awesome. I, I, I love to hear that. No judgment zone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's something, you know, all of us go through a certain level of challenge, some more than others. And, you know, to me, someone like your mom, and I'm sure to you too, is is that's that's not adventure by choice necessarily but that's that's an amazing heroic person human being who's creating a better life for her family to me that's like true strength and true wisdom true all that stuff that we're kind of almost trying to capture on adventures uh but some of us are forced into those roles and uh rise of the challenge so what what do you think when you're going out there and doing these things. And now I know you're a cyclist, a climber. Some of the biggest lessons you've learned from your mom to get through maybe some of those challenging moments out on an adventure or on a ride or, or a climb. Let's see, man, where do I even start? There's not, there's not a second or a moment where we, we've all as, you know, you know, quote unquote athletes or, or when we get out there and we put it all out and you're in those dark moments of pain and, and things like that. Uh, there's not a second where I don't think about what my mom would do. You know, if she was, if she was sitting on that saddle or she was on that wall or mostly on a bike, because truth be told, climbing, um, it's just for fun. But on, on the bike, you know, yeah, when, when I'm out there, I'm racing or, or I'm, you know, I'm in pain or things like that. I think a lot about the the willpower that my mom has and, and, and what she's taught. And just like how you say, you know, like some people are forced into that. And, and some of us, we, we have the privilege to, to seek it. And, um, uh, and I always think about if, if I were to give up or if I were not to give my, my full effort, uh, I could potentially not have that experience again. And that's something that my mom has always taught us, you know, like you have to take it a, a day by day and, and you never know what's going to be around the corner. So you just got to give it the full and, 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 and you have to sit well with how it goes whether you perform well, you perform or you, you underperform, whatever, but you, you come home and, and you go to bed, uh, thinking that you gave it your best. And that's always kind of been my, or more so recently has been my feel because when I first started getting into endurance sports, it was driven by anger and almost hatred, you know, anger and, and, and hatred coming from, realizations or education of, you know, how, how broken the system is, but that's another whole thing, you know? And, but now, now the drive and the energy definitely comes more so positively from thinking about, you know, the efforts and the, and the, and the way my mom would, would take on any type of challenge. That's awesome. 
Is there anything you want some of our listeners to know or understand about folks trying to get into the U.S. or trying to create a better life that you maybe think is a misconception? Full, full disclosure, my, my best friend in high school has a similar story immigrating from Cuba. I don't know if he's a listener of the show, actually. I won't mention him by name just because he might not. He, he, I know he tells <laughs> the story, but came from the U.S. or came from Cuba to Florida, where we're from, and his story is uh, it's a movie. It's unbelievable what his mom and dad went through and what he went through and just the complete uncertainty of every moment to being a, a, an amazing success now. I just I know it shaped the way I view these issues and viewed folks coming to the states because I, it was my best friend. Still, you know, still is one of my best friends. What do you want folks to understand, or maybe something that they don't they don't people don't consider when thinking about these issues? You know, all things consider, I think, man, misconceptions. There's so many of them. Uh, yeah, we're, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many of them. You know, um, and I. I always, I, when, when I face these type of situations or when I hear comments or certain things, I always try to, I try to put myself in the, in the, in the shoes from, you know, where the comment comes. And most of them are very easily like, oh man, you just haven't had a best friend or a connection with, with somebody, or you haven't heard a story or experience or something like that. But uh, let's see. And, it, and it's currently such a touchy situation with what happened in San Antonio a couple of days ago. Right? Yeah, that like, was this. I know this episode will come out farther down the road from that, but yeah, a couple of days ago, San Antonio truck was found. Forty six, I think, were dead inside. Yeah, and 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 it wasn't just like adults; there was kids and things like that. You know, I think it ended up being somewhere. It grew to like fifty because some of the the people in the hospital ended up passing away or things like that. It is over 50. Oh. So extremely tragic. Uh, tragic because no no human life should ever have to experience things like that. Uh, right? And I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that the U.S., despite, and, and I mean this with all due respect, is like the U.S. is going through some some very big changes currently, right? Politically, culturally, there's there's so many clashes. And unfortunately, as an immigrant, it's a slap in the face to hear friends, uh, even family. You know, I have family members who are U.S. citizens now. And, and, and people of my community quickly say, well, this place has, you know, turns so bad this is the worst place in the world and and how could people want to come here and this whole san antonio thing happens and you hear comments of like don't they know this place is like the worst place in the world why are they coming here and like there is a huge misconception about what the lifestyle in this country offers or what this country offers as far as lifestyle versus what we as immigrants experience in our homelands. Now, I understand that when, when Americans travel to a country, any country, they travel with money and they get to experience the beautiful things. And going back to how you say, you know, you know people who have been to Guatemala and they describe it as a beautiful place because they have the opportunities to see the beautiful things and live the beautiful way in our countries. 
So it's a huge misconception to believe that we're leaving beautiful places for a terrible place. And it may sound weird, but I, I, I think it's very important to realize that although the U.S. has gone through so many changes, this place represents so much freedom and opportunity that it's still a place that so many people want to come to and find safe or safer. So just to add on to that, immigrants aren't dumb. It's just that this place still offers a lot more than, than our home countries. Mm, and I know we take that for granted every day. Wow. Alvin, I, uh, I know we didn't t- talk tons about the adventure sports, but I just think it's important to understand that adventure itself is a privilege. Enjoying the outdoors is a privilege that not everyone is able to do. I know your mom probably doesn't look at the outdoors the same way you do. So being able to do these things is a privilege and being able to bring folks that might not have the opportunity otherwise along is a huge deal. If you're out there and you have the ability to take kids camping or get someone on a bike who may never have done it, it could open up an entire world like it has for you of enjoyment, of peace, of satisfaction, of of joy. Amazing story. Definitely different for the show. I know you could probably do an entire documentary series on, on your story and, and the millions of others that, that have had to do the same. Um, but is there anything else you want to share before we go with our community or, or with our listeners about either adventure sports or your story or a lesson? Definitely. As far as this, it, you said it perfectly. It took me almost 29 years and some crashes on my bikes and surgeries last year. Last year was a big year for me as far as adventure and and trusting and learning from my community, especially the outdoors community. There is nothing more motivating than than feeling supported and feeling a part of. And so from an immigrant standpoint, I I ask for any adventure or anybody who's into the outdoors to not necessarily try, but to be open to seeing different faces outside and Maybe, I don't know, try to connect with them. I've always believed that you can only build strong communities by making people feel welcome and supported. And there is so much talent and ability in, in the immigrant you know, community and, and area that the sports that you participate, whether it be running, biking, climbing, uh, whatever, uh, it can grow so much more if you get more of these more of these people in and and allow them to see how beautiful the outdoors truly are and that truly is kind of the 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 way i see it now and um i guess the only way i ever try to connect like that is through instagram i'm not a huge advocate like you know social media person but i realize how powerful it is to to be able to connect so if you ever know of anybody who wants to get out or wants to connect, yeah, you can find me on Instagram as Whoopi Goldberg. That's a whole other story. Okay. Well, shoot, man. We probably don't have time for that one. I was curious. I was like, Whoopi Goldberg. All right. (laughs) But, uh, man, Alvin, this is, um, 
This is awesome. Thank you for sharing your story and being willing. I hope you, I, you know, I don't know if you get tired of telling the same stories, but it's powerful. Uh, it's something that I think all of us sh- should listen to and learn from because, you know, we're out here doing these adventure sports, not realizing the true, the, the, the unavoidable challenges that people put themselves through to, to make it happen. The true hardcore people that are making, so I don't know if you read the onion, it's like satire news or Uh funny news. And just the other day they had an article title that said, grandma didn't live in six countries because she exactly loved to travel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it, I mean, I know it's supposed to be funny and obviously all that, but it's true that, you know, this, it's, this is not a choice for a lot of people. It's a choice for us adventure athletes a lot of the time. So if you think you're all high and mighty out there, take, take a little slice of humble pie, learn from your story and know that uh, it's a privilege. Yes, definitely is. Definitely is. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast dot com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.